Hi everyone, uh, thank you for coming. We'll start on top of the hour, so in around uh, seven minutes. And uh, feel free to check out the PowerPoint and also the paper that I shared uh, in the chat. And uh, we will start soon. soon. Thank you. Hi Z, hi Pravin, hi Wise, Amelia S, thank you for coming. As I just said, uh, welcome. <laughs> um, we will start on top of the hour and in the chat, there's a link for the open source paper. And on top is the PowerPoint presentation that our guest speaker will present today. And yeah, feel free to share the room and we will start soon. And thanks for coming, everyone. It's the last room of this year. <laughs> we will be having the the room in the next year, the first one again in Gen on January fifth. So. I hope I said your name right. Please let me know how to say your name right. How are you? C can you hear me? Hi, uh, good morning, good morning. Uh, actually, good evening, uh, Katarina. This is Wei Jian speaking. Yep. Uh, thanks for coming, welcome. And um, yeah, good morning to you. I hope you're having a great yeah. start. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, so it's a good evening. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'm in California, so I, yeah. <laughs> and um, this is the last room of this year that we will be having. So, yeah, okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, <laughs> yeah, I, are you doing something like are you taking a little bit off during this holiday season yeah we will yeah wonderful yeah to get some uh refresh and also get some more energy for the upcoming year <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah yeah that's nice yeah. to hear i'm glad thank you yeah and i hope you as well right <laughs> yes Yes, yeah. I'm also taking off uh, starting Thursday. Thursday, yeah, yeah. And then until, you know. That's nice, yeah. Beginning of January. That's right, yeah. Mm. We, we wanted to go back home to Europe, but then my parents came and. Oh, uh, okay. 
a lot of I people think. are sick again. So. <laughs> yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah, but but hopefully, hopefully they will get recover soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to visit friends here in the US, and mm-hmm. you know, long family friends, and it will be nice. Yeah, yeah. Visit. And how has your year been like after COVID? Very busy or? Yeah, right now everything is all back to normal, more or less, I think. Uh, uh, Yeah, so it's in person, everything. We start to be in person uh, actually last fall, so one year ago, uh, 2021, uh, October, we start to be in person in the campus. And then we briefly went to remote for about two weeks, I think in January, when the Delta variant spike, I think at that moment. Then afterwards, it's all back to normal. And I think now everything seems to be fine, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everything seems to be fine. But we do learn quite a bit from the remote uh, instructions. So right now, some of our classes can be done remotely and some of the meeting can also be done remotely right now, uh, though most of them is still in person. I I think each of them have their own benefits. I think <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Was it? Yeah, I I agree. But everything has upside and downsides. Yeah, yeah. We have, a, like I have a bunch of meetings that I still do remote, and then other meetings mm-hmm. or, or in person. It depends, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it depends. Yeah. 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 I'm just glad the kids are back in school. (laughs) Sorry? I'm glad the kids are back in school. Ah, yeah, yes, that's right. That's right. That's important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, it had upsides too, but I think for the kids it's important to have like a social life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think totally remote definitely cannot replace the in-person social activity. Particularly for kids, probably, I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the good thing was they could be remote from anywhere. So in the beginning, we stayed mm. home, of course. But then they, here in New York City, their school stayed closed for two years, basically. Wow. So I see. I a lot see. of things started opening up. So we, uh, and, you know... We traveled then, which yeah. was nice. Yeah. So <laughs> and we, it was we could go somewhere when it was cheaper, right? Now mm-hmm. it's it's crazy expensive to go during the times again when the yeah. schools yeah. are closed. That's you know, right. The yeah. downside of it. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I think it's better. Yeah. I think we can start. And hi, Serena. How are you today? Thanks for coming. Well, a little bit under the weather. Um, oh, no, you're sick too. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is sick right now. Everyone. <laughs> I think it's just a cold, but I had a test done earlier in case it's COVID, but I think it's just a good old-fashioned cold. Uh-huh. Yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Hope you could recover soon. Yeah, it yeah. seems to be progressing fast, so uh, mm. you're fine. Yeah. Okay, I'm glad you still came. So, 
I'm sort of been in bed all day. <laughs> okay, so you rested just to be here. <laughs> well, um, well, welcome everyone to Science Society. And of course, a special welcome to uh, you, Dr. Young. And oh, thank you. Before we start, let me give the audience a short introduction uh, so they get to know you a little bit. And mm -hmm. Dr. Ian Yang is Associate Professor at the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering um, at the University of California, uh, Davis. And um, he um, did his Bachelor in Science at the Peking University in Beijing and his PhD at the University of California, Berkeley. And um, Professor Young joined the faculty of the University of California, Davis, um, at the Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering in 2017. And um, he, um, his research interest lies at the intersection of electrical engineering, biomedical engineering, and neuroscience which I think is a really interesting one. And he's specifically interested in uh, optical microscopy, biophotonics, integrated optics, optoelectronics, and neuroengineering. And he's using advanced technologies to study the functional organization and plasticity of neuronal circuits. And he published more than 80 papers and um, he is also the recipient of the Career Awards at the Scientific Interface from Boros Welcome Fund and the NSF Early Career Awards. Um, and um, it's really an honor having you here, um, especially that you have this really broad, you know, kind of interdisciplinary approach that I think awesome. is really interesting. And usually before we start with the talk, we ask a couple of interview questions. And our first question is, when did you found out or did somebody else found out for you? You know, our last guest because said, you know, my parents wanted me to do this, but then I enjoyed it. Like that you wanted to become a scientist and follow this path of um, uh -huh. research. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so, so. Uh... Uh, first, first of all, thank you, uh, Katarina, for the uh, invitation to this uh, Science uh, Society on Clubhouse uh, presentation. Um, it's an honor to be here to share uh, our latest research with you. So now to get back to these questions, um, I think, uh, um, so when I was uh, actually, when I was um, a student in the high school, I got interested in science. Uh, particular physics and um, biology at that moment. Then when I go to college, uh, my original intention is really to go to the uh, biology and physics departments to, to, to learn about those subjects. But then uh, unfortunately my, um, my score at that moment is not high enough. <laughs> so I end up in engineering in electrical engineering, but it actually is a very good uh, subject actually. Um, because it's it's um, it's first of all in electrical engineering, it's kind of uh, kind of interdisciplinary already. I would say because it touch different uh, area, particular uh, uh, both uh, physics, 
uh, and engineering uh, as well. So, and then, um, then I, I, I continue with my PhD in all, all, also in uh, electrical and computer engineering uh, at UC Berkeley. Uh, and then uh, after that, then I think I have a little bit more freedom so that I would like to explore back uh, of my interest, which is biology at that moment. Then I, that, so that's the result that I, I go for a postdoc position actually in Columbia University at New York uh, to um, pursue some interdisciplinary research between uh, electrical engineering and neuroscience. And from there, I pick up the uh, knowledge about my optical imaging and uh, particularly for biomedical application, and also some knowledge of uh, neuroscience. And then afterwards, that uh, I become an independent um, uh, faculty member at uh, UC Davis. Uh, and then uh, this allowed me to, to continue my, uh, my research, um, mainly on optical imaging, um, optical microscopy, um, and also some uh, nanostructure, uh, nanophotonics, and then uh, most of this uh, serve as like, some of the tools, and then we apply these tools for uh, neuroscience studies. So, so this is kind of my journey so far to uh, science and, and engineering. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah. wonderful uh, that you, maybe it was really good that you first, um, you, you were kind of forced to do engineering first and then <laughs> biology because that's why we talk now. <laughs> so I yeah. wasn't speaking less. But um, I, yeah. I, I realized that most things that are really important, we really don't decide. <laughs> we think like very important decisions that we make are important mm -hmm. in life, but then tiny decisions. Or, yeah, um, yeah are actually the important ones. Certainly, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, is there an interesting story to this, um, you know, specific project we are talking about? Was it, you know, sometimes there's like a backstory was very easy to get funding. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Really yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, um, so for this work is about uh, 3D imaging for uh, kind of photography application, I would say. So, um, but as I mentioned earlier, actually, uh, my original intentions um, uh, for for uh, our lab is mainly for biomedical application. So, uh, when I start to join UC Davis, um, uh, I write I wrote a grant about uh, uh, optical microscopy for. Uh, neuroscience application, which we will talk about that towards the end of this talk today. Um, and the main principle there is to develop something that is thin and compact so that the um, rodent, for example, the mouse, we can, uh, the mouse can wear, wear that uh, kind of tiny camera on top of his or her sculpt. And then during the mouse uh, movement, uh, without any movement uh, constraint, that we can do the imaging of the um, brain activity of this rodent. So uh, this is the uh, the grant the proposal that I wrote, and then it, it was uh, fortunately very luckily we got funded, and and that is how we start 
the um, 3D microscopy, uh, something called lensless microscopy for uh, biomedical application. And there, the, our main motivation is to make this device very thin uh, so that the mouse can, can wear that while the mouse can still freely behave, right? Uh, so we, we uh, worked for this project for about two to three years, and I think we got very reasonable results. Um, and then after that, so after this project uh, finished, and then I was thinking that the same principle can actually also be applied for photography application. So instead of doing microscopy, um, we can also use a similar principle to do the um, to do the um, pho photography. So which is microscopic object. So as we saw, we that kind of detour a little bit on that, and then uh, I use part of my uh, funding from my startup actually uh, to continue this work, and that is how we uh, how we come to uh, this project um, for uh, kind of three uh, D imaging for microscopic object, which could be cool for maybe three D vision, maybe for robotic uh, applications, uh, those kind of things. Yeah. So this is how it how it work. It's actually that kind of like a detour from the biomedical applications. Yeah. <laughs> but towards the end of this talk, I will show uh, the uh, uh, result from the original uh, project for the biomedical application. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's so interesting how um, it started with this application and then it, it got really wider and broader and that's really yeah. interesting. Mm -hmm. so thank thank you. you for sharing that story with us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, for everyone, the PowerPoint or the PDFs, like the presentation slides are pinned on top of the room. So please access them. Um, and uh, the stage is yours. Thank you. Ah, thank you very much, uh, Katarina. So, uh, so this is actually my first time to do the uh, clubhouse uh, presentation. So, uh, please bear with me if I if I talk a little bit uh, light, maybe too short or too long, or maybe too much detail or not. So, uh, please let me know. Uh, uh, so, but uh, uh, nevertheless, I will get started. So, I have my presentation in front of me, and I hope that uh, I could use most of my words. Uh, without you going to uh, like with the presentation, but maybe sometimes I will need the assistance from from the slide. So so I will uh, uh, like indicate which slides and which figure or which item I'm I'm talking about uh, while I go through uh, my talk. So um, so this talk is about the three uh, uh, D imaging. So by definition, three D imaging means that uh, we will be able to perceive not only the my natural x y uh, dimension a uh, 2d environment but we will also be able to proceed the depth of the uh, object scenes uh, so we call that the object scene so now let's uh, take a look at uh, slide number two there so i would like to start this uh, topic by um, uh, examining our own eye so uh, we as a human being we have two eye left and right so uh, and we know we will be able to perceive the depth so the main reason that we can perceive the depth is actually due to uh, the fact that we have two different eyes. And these two different eyes, they, they are located differently, right? separating to left and right. So um, as we saw on this uh, slides, that each eye actually perceive the image uh, slightly different. I mean, they perceive the uh, object seen slightly 
different. Um, so the left and right, they uh, they will each of them will get an individual image from the object scene. And then um, based on the difference between these two object scenes, our brain will be able to process the information and thus we will be able to uh, get the depth information of the object So for example, here we know that, okay, the flower is slightly closer to us, whereas the tree is further away. So this is how we, we can perceive the uh, uh, 3D information. It's called stereo opposites. Uh, and then based on uh, some triangulations, calculation, our brain will be able to figure out the depth information. Um, and perhaps some of us will think that, okay, so uh, actually uh, only one eye may be able to perceive the depth as well. And I actually think that it is also true, but um, I think the main reason on that is that our brain uh, is trained on 3D information with our two eye already. So sometimes if we only have one single eye, and based on our prior knowledge, based on our prior experience, we would be able to still perceive the depth information. But definitely with two different eye left and right, we will be able to perceive that more accurately. Uh, so this is how we uh, get to uh, the, uh, see the 3D uh, object scenes by our eyes. So now uh, let's go back to the, uh, uh, the camera, 3D imaging camera that uh, we are investigating. Uh, so uh, now I'm going to slide number three. So uh, conventional camera, uh, which have a single aperture, it's actually behave as a single eye of our human being. Uh, so it has a, a imaging sensor towards the back end, uh, and then it has a lens in the front. And might like more advanced camera, there could be more lens. But whether it is uh, low-end camera, which have only a single lens, or high-end camera, which have uh, many lens, all of them, actually, they form a single column, and they align with the imaging sensor, just like our eyes, right? So um, with only a single aperture, uh, the camera will not be able to perceive the depth information. Um, but uh, on the other hand, if we do want to get the 3D information, what we can do is that we can change the focus of the lens, basically the difference, the, the, the distance between the image sensor and uh, lens, we can change the distance, for example, that we will be able to focus on different depths, so this is manually, and then by taking like image at different depths, different focal distance, that we'll be able to get the 3D information. So that is how the conventional camera will be able to get the 3D information, but that will require us to take so many uh, photos, or at least multiple photos, at least two, right? And um, another uh, feature uh, of the uh, conventional lens, uh, I will probably not say feature, but, but one of the uh, disadvantages is that the lenses are usually quite bulky. So imagine that if we have a high-end camera, the lens in the front end is quite hairy, actually, and quite bulky, frankly speaking. So uh, I would say that it actually offers a good advantage in the sense that the image quality is extremely good, but on the other hand, it's quite hairy and very bulky. So this is the conventional camera. Um, and then um, in the past years, there's actually uh, some interesting um, research. Uh, it's called a mask-based camera or the lensless camera. So 
by definition, the mass space or the lensness, it actually means that it replaces the bulky lens, which is usually in 3D, right? Um, you replace this bulky lens with a thin optical mask. And this optical mask is pretty much a 2D plate, a very thin two-dimensional plate. So and these plates could have like um, different um, features. For example, it can be uh, amplitude mask. So basically it's kind of like this mask, it has many pinholes on the top. Uh, I mean, uh, on uh, it has many pinholes uh, uh, on it. Uh, this pinhole can be arranged differently. Um, or it can be a face mask such as a diffuser uh, or uh, a very thin layer of micro lens array. So by replacing this bulky lens with such a thin layer of optical mask, the entire camera can be made very, very, very thin, right? So, um, and then on top of that, it can actually perform a 3D imaging in a single shot. So a uh, single shot means that you can just take one single image and then we can use computational algorithms to refocus so that we will be able to perceive the object scenes at different depths. And we will be able to accurately get the depth information of the object scenes as well. So this is so-called a mass space or lensless uh, camera. So the main principle of this so-called mass space and lensless camera is that one single object point, instead of projecting to the camera into a single point, just like the conventional camera or our eye. So for example, our eye actually mapped the object scenes into our retina pixel by pixel. So it's one-to-one -one correspondent. One pixel or maybe one voxel on the object will map to one pixel on our retina, right? Or one pixel on the camera sensor. That is how the conventional camera works. But in this mass space or so-called lensless camera, one single object point or one single object workshop will be projected to multiple points on the camera sensor. So, and based on this information, uh, and uh, also some information I will talk later in slide, uh, in the following slides, that we will be able to computationally recover the 3D information of the uh, object chain. So this is just like an uh, overview. Um, in the following, I would like to uh, discuss uh, more detail of this uh, lensless camera that we realized in slide number four. So um, let's go to the following slide in slide number four. So uh, what we do is that uh, we implement the optical mask as a thin layer of micro lens away. So um, we would like to emphasize that although it is a single layer of micro lens away, although it has a lens there, but this lens itself, it has is very thin. It's essentially very thin layer. You can imagine that it's just a two-dimensional sheet, uh, very fast sheet. So uh, as a result, we no longer have the bulky lens. So as a result, we can also classify this as the lensless camera. So just want to make the terminology uh, uh, more clear here, right? Uh, so now let's take a look at this uh, slide number four, uh, uh, like panel A there on, on the top. So what that shows is that a single object source uh, will project this light through this lensless camera, which is uh, composed of that single layer of micro lens away and the camera sensor. And the distance between this 
uh, micro lens array and the camera sensor can be very small, right? It can be on the order of like a few millimeter to maybe up to tens of millimeters. So, so it's very thin. Yeah. So the entire thing is very thin. So one object points will get projected to the camera sensor, and then on the right hand side you will see that there are many dots there, and that is uh, how a single point will be mapped to the camera sensor. So in instead of one-to-one -one correspondence, it's really one-to-many uh, mapping between the object seen and, and the camera sensor. And more importantly is that as this object source uh, move in the axial direction, meaning that the distance, right, the distance between the object source and the camera, as that distance change, this pattern on the camera sensor will also change. So and then we call this pattern is uh, uh, something called PSF. It's called point spread functions. So that's why it's called PSF. So point spread function meaning that how a single point at the object screen is spread uh, onto the uh, camera sensor. So that's why it's called point spread function. So here, the point spread function has many, many different points on the camera sensor. And importantly is that this point spread function will change when the distance between the object source and the camera sensor distance change. And by leveraging this information, uh, we can computationally recover the 3D information of the object uh, uh, scenes. So in the bottom panel, we show one particular example. So uh, here it has a 3D scene, so it's basically four different kits uh, there, and then each kit, the, uh, the, the distance between that and the camera sensor is different. And then, uh, then what happens is that on the camera sensor, we'll be able to uh, capture a single image of the entire scene, and as you see in this um, image, that is the image right after the camera sensor, uh, we'll see that the we can probably still see some feature of the the four kits as the objects, but more or less it's very difficult to distinguish the detailed feature. The reason is that one single object source is projected to so many different uh, points on the camera sensor, and because you have many different point source on the 3D scenes, right? You have four different kits, and each kit have many different uh, washer. So as a result, all this information, they get scrambled and overlapped. So that's, that's why on the camera sensor, we won't be able to see uh, something that can perceive by a normal human being, right? So, um, and then, but this information is important. Actually, the scramble information is important. It can facilitate us to recover the 3D information, uh, which I will discuss more detail on the algorithm later. But here, uh, we show that after uh, the, the, the uh, reconstruction algorithm based on a deep neural network, that is where uh, the two uh, box uh, uh, identify, and then afterwards we will be able to refocus the object scene into different depths. So as we saw on the right hand side, we'll be able to focus on the case that is the most further away, and then the middle one, and finally the one on the front, right? And then for each one, uh, we see that the correspondent case we want to uh, focus will be in the focus position. Uh, it's a sharp feature, is shown, whereas the other uh, information, the, the other kids either in the foreground or background, uh, they will look blurred, right? So this essentially is like how we use our camera to to uh, focus on the different uh, depths and then we can take multiple image and each of them focus on 
different depth. This is how uh, we can recover the, the same information. But here we just need to take a single image, take a single exposure. And we don't need to change anything on the camera. We don't need to change the, the, the zoom or the distance between the uh, lens and the camera sensor, right? So single image through the reconstruction algorithm will be able to recover the information at different depths. And then furthermore, we can further synthesize these information. And then this is shown on the right-hand side, we'll be able to get the all so-called all in focus imaging. So all the uh, kits here will be uh, focused and we can also calculate the distance or the depth information of each individual kit here. So this is an overview of the work that uh, we, we, we did. So it's 3D imaging camera. So uh, later we will discuss more uh, information about how we design the microlens array and also how we do the uh, imaging reconstruction algorithm. But, but before that, let me show you some uh, imaging uh, experiment results. So this is in slide number five of the PDF. Um, and here um, uh, in panel A, we actually line up um, five different toys, five different toys, um, and we get the permission from the uh, uh, toys creator or the, the vendor so that we are allowed to use this for publication here. So we align them in a line so that each toy they have uh, they are at a different depth and then we put our uh, camera in the front and we take a single image of that single exposure and that wall image on the camera sensor is shown on panel b so here you can see that the same object scenes they are uh, copied into multiple sub image so um, of course it's very small each one is very small um, and more importantly is that uh, each of these copy they are actually viewed by the camera sensor from a different perspective because we have many different microlens units there. So let's say that we have 40 microlens units, then we will have 40 different sub-image on the camera sensor. And that each sub-image is viewed by the uh, camera from different perspective. Just like uh, our two eyes, right? We only have two eyes, so but we can already see the 3D information. We can get 3D information here. But here, we have many different uh, microlens units so that we will be able to see the object from different perspectives. And based on that, we'll be able to get the 3D information uh, by the calculation. So uh, showing in panel C is that uh, we'll be able to refocus onto different toys, right? So the, the toys are in a line from near to, 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 to far away, and we will be able to focus at different depths here, uh, from uh, 22 centimeter all the way to 50 to 60 centimeter away. Um, and let's go to slide number six. And uh, using the, the, um, all the five different refocus image that we saw uh, earlier, we'll be able to get a so-called so all-in-focus image. So in the panel A here. So actually, uh, I remember we not only synthesize, uh, the, not only we focus on five different depths, I think we remember we we focus on about 14 different depths. And as a result, we have 14 different image by post-processing, and then we can synthesize them. All together, we can get an all-in-focus image. So every feature will be in shot. Uh, 
will uh, so will have a well good sharpness, and also will be able to get the depth information of different toys here. So this is the all in focus uh, uh, image and the three D uh, imaging uh, experiment, and the other. Uh, interesting experiment that I wanted to show is in slide number seven. So in this particular uh, example, we want to show the capability that the camera will be able to see the object behind some obstacle. So, um, so on panel A, we we show we have the camera there on the left, um, and then on the right hand side there will be three different. Uh, Objects actually four different objects. The first two is on twenty five centimeter away, and then there's one at thirty six centimeter away, and then another one at forty five centimeter away from the camera. So there are three different depths, and then the first two object is partially blocking uh, uh, the uh, uh, the third and the fourth object. So meaning that the two objects at the first distance, 25 centimeter, is partially blocking the two objects at 36 and 45 centimeter away. That is shown in panel B uh, using a cell phone camera. And then now, because our, uh, our uh, lensless uh, camera, it has a large enough aperture. So as a result, some of the micro lens units is able to kind of image uh, this object seen from the side angle. Although uh, it is still partially blocked by the uh, 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 obstacle in the front, but the camera will be able to some some of the uh, micro lens unit will be able to uh, perceive or image the uh, object uh, behind or far behind from the obstacle, um, and based on those uh, sub image which is shown in C and D, uh, that will be able to. Uh, we focus on the different depth, and and we will be able to to uh, clearly see the image after after the obstacle, right? Um, to see the object after the obstacle. So that is shown in panel E there. So we can see that the first image is focused on the twenty five centimeter uh, depth. Uh, that shows the two three uh, D printed object, uh, uh, and then after that we will be able to show. Focus on thirty-six centimeter away, which is show the first uh, toy. That is the 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 uh, the, the wet color uh, toy. And then after that, we can focus onto the forty-five centimeter one, the one further away. Uh, so that is how how we can uh, do this see through obstacle. Of course, this is not um, not. Uh, 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 I mean, this cannot. Uh, this, I mean, this is just one particular example. If there's something that in the front that is uh, very uh, very large size, so that it totally block the feet, the object behind that, then we won't be able to see that. And then in that case, we probably need to have a much larger uh, camera in order to see that. So, so for example, if the camera is wide enough, so that part of the micro lens unit at the edge will be able to uh, see the information behind the block. So uh, this really depends on, on how large the obstacle is. right? But nevertheless, this experiment that shows uh, how powerful the 3D imaging uh, capability 
is right so uh so this is the main experiment that uh, i want to describe but um in the following two slides uh, we would like to go through a little bit more um accurate or a little bit more detail of the microlens way that uh, we we design and manufacture so now let's go to uh, slide number eight here so here uh, i'm sorry that it could look a little bit dark but uh, here what what we want to show is the the uh, the psf of the uh, optical mask so remember the psf is called a point function so uh, the definition of that is that um, what the pattern is on the camera sensor when there's only a single object source be before the uh, camera so that is point spec function so here uh, we use a micro lens array as the uh, optical mask. So as a result, if we have 40 micro lens unit, for example, uh, I believe here we have 37. So uh, then a single object source will be projected to uh, 37 points on the camera sensor. Um, and then the location of each uh, uh, point on the camera sensor is depending on where that micro lens unit is. So in our realizations, we designed something called a random micro lens array, uh, meaning that the central position of each lens unit, they're kind of random, randomized. Um, so that is uh, how you see in panel A there, you see many different dots, right? So that is a PSF. And these dots looks uh, kind of some, the position of them is kind of random. So this is um, how we design the lens units. So uh, A is in measurement and B is our design. So pretty much they are, they are similar. So um, the advantage of this when uh, the micro lens away is that it has very high optical, uh, optical uh, transmission efficiency. Um, and then also uh, for each individual points there on the camera sensor, it is locally confined. And it's also relatively uh, spatially sparse. Uh, so this is important as it can reduce the imaging background. So compare with uh, the uh, PSF shown in uh, uh, panel D and E, which is some other work uh, by Professor uh, Laura Wall at UC Berkeley and Professor Jacobs uh, Robertson and Professor Ashok Ganwan uh, from Rice University. So uh, compared to, to, to those work, uh, that the microlens arrays PSF um, is more sparse and is also more uh, locally confined. And we think that this could uh, uh, have uh, some benefit to reduce the image background. So, um, so that is the comparison with panel D and E, um, uh, which is used in, in a, a 3D camera called diffuse cam and a 3D camera called a face cam. And uh, the image uh, the panel D and E is showing the PSF of those two cameras, uh, which is quite um, quite dense compared to to our micro lens array. Um, and then uh, some of uh, some of us may may ask that uh, what is the significance on on making the micro lens positions random uh, compared to a periodic one, uh, which is nicely. Uh, uh, like uh, arranged in a grid structure. Uh, what is the uh, the advantage of that? So, uh, so the uh, argument that we want to make here is that uh, in our case, the random PSF it has a low self correlation, and this could reduce artifacts in the reconstruction. So, um, 
let me give one specific example here. So uh, in uh, panel C here, we saw the periodic structure. I mean, we saw the periodic uh, microlens arrays PSF. So uh, there, uh, because the PSF is uh, very periodic, so as a result, um, it's a little bit more difficult to distinguish uh, two different points. Um, for example, um, if there's a point source located at one of the grid points of this PSF, and whereas there's another one located on another grid point uh, for this PSF, then, then the image of these two point source will be very similar, will be very similar because the, 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 the PSF is, is, is periodic. So as a result, that's their, their image is, is just lateral shift. And the lateral shift, if it shifts by one period, then it will overlap with the original one. And it's, then it's difficult to, to distinguish whether uh, this uh, source is at A position or B position, for example. So, um, and that is the, um, the disadvantage of something called a high self-correlation, right? Uh, so if we can do a randomize, then, um, we will be able to distinguish these two point source. It will uh, have a, uh, have a less chance to have a arbitrary uh, light or or some uncertainty on the reconstruction. So so um, so we argue that the random position of the microlens unit can reduce the artifact in our reconstruction. And finally, this um, microlens arrays point spare function because it's locally confined, spatially sparse. So particularly locally confined, well shot. And then so it has a wide frequency support and then um, in the Fourier domain. And as a result, it has a, a relatively good spatial resolution. Uh, so uh, sorry that this go into a little bit more technical, but this is how we design our microlens array. And then um, this microlens array is uh, fabricated through uh, uh, 3D printed. So uh, how it works is that the, the, the mole of this uh, microlens array is, is printed, and then uh, we pour the polymer on top of this mole, and then uh, we let it cure and uh, solidified, and then we can peel off this uh, lens, microlens array, a very thin layer of polymer, and then we just attach uh, to the front of the uh, camera sensor. So this is how we manufacture this microlens array. Um, okay, and then um, and then in slide number uh, nine, in the following slides, uh, that is, uh, we show the architecture of the reconstruction algorithm. So after we take the uh, wall image, which have multiple uh, sub-image, actually 37 sub-image, well, they can have overlap as well, partially overlapped. Uh, and then um, we use the deep neural network to do the uh, object reconstructions. So uh, deep neural networking is uh, actually a very powerful tool that uh, emerged uh, recently. Uh, and then um, basically it's, um, like com uh, it has an input layer and it has a, a, a processing, uh, many processing layer in the middle and it has an output layer. And then this deep neural network yeah, can, depending on, on how it is designed, it can do many different things. So a uh, very popular example is that if you have an image in the, in, in the in, as an input, and then the output can 
can tell you what type of images there's. For example, whether this is cat or it is a dog or it is a tree or it is a monkey, it is a rose, it is a flower, for example. So uh, this is uh, one popular example of deep neural network. But there's also some application of deep neural network. And here, uh, what we try to, to, to do here is that we put a raw image at the, at the input layer and then the output layer will be the reconstructed uh, object scenes at a specific focal depth. So this is also one application of deep, deep neural network. So um, here in, in our particular uh, reconstruction algorithm, uh, we, uh, we have two different modules. So the first module is something called reconstruction module. Um, and then this is uh, uh, physics aware uh, deep neural network, uh, meaning that um, we use top-down approach uh, to, and then we embed some uh, physical right, intuition or physical information of, of how this camera works into this deep neural network. So as a result, this deep neural network, at least in this reconstruction module, um, it can uh, learn the information very quickly. Uh, and then it can process very quickly. And then, so after this reconstruction module, we'll be able to recap the, the, the uh, object scene at individual depth. And then afterwards, we do an enhancement module to reduce the artifact so that we can have a reasonably uh, human perceived uh, uh, reasonable uh, uh, image that we human being can can perceive well. So this is what the enhancement module do. So um, overall, our 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 uh, innovation here is that uh, we design the physics aware uh, deep neural network in the as a reconstruction module. So it is easy to train, and then the entire reconstruction can run in a very high speed actually in real real time, and. Um, and I would also like to point out how how the conventional uh, reconstruction algorithm work. So before the neural network, how the conventional image reconstruction algorithm work. So that is work by iterative optimizations approach. So basically, uh, you have uh, measurement, and we also know the PSF. So based on these uh, two information, that we will be able to might fit the object information or to find the object information so that under this object information, if we use the point spec function, we'll be able to get what is shown on the camera sensor as the measurement. So this is actually uh, called the iterative optimization. Um, it is the inverse problem. Inverse problem means that based on the single uh, measurement and also based on the point spec function, we'll be able to inverse this process so that we find the object. So this is the inverse process using iterative optimizations. But usually, this approach is very slow, very slow, and also it is kind of uh, something called ill-defined problem, meaning that we'll be able to find multiple solutions as the object that can satisfy the so-called forwards model. So as a result that 
it's hard to tell okay whether this solution or that solution right because both solutions could be correct because under this lens if you use both solution as the object that both of them will be able to like uh, lead to the uh, uh, measurement on the camera so this is kind of a ill-defined problem so uh, usually to in order to choose the best solution we will need some prior knowledge now, for example, sparsity uh, in the uh, spatial domain, meaning that the image that you recover could be smooth, right? For example, so based on this prior information, that uh, we can uh, recover the uh, object scene. So this is how the conventional work uh, algorithm work. We have two disadvantages. Number one is that it's very slow. Number two is that it requires prior information, and this prior information is kind of uh, empirical as well. So this is the disadvantage for the conventional image, but uh, for the conventional algorithm. But here we use the deep neural network, uh, which is very fast um, and, uh, and is relatively straightforward as well because we inject the physical information there uh, so that uh, we will be able to, to recover the uh, 3D object scenes in, in real time. And uh, one important thing to, to uh, I want to point out here is that um, if in order to, to do the training, we actually do not need to know the point spread functions. So how we train is that we set up a monitor in front of the uh, 3D camera, and then we display different image on the monitor as the object scenes, and then uh, we will be able to capture this uh, 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 image uh, using the 3D uh, camera we have, and then so from there we have uh, we have a pair. So we have the ground true object which is displayed on the monitor, and we have the measurement. And by by using this pair of information, and of course we have multiple pair, then we will like be able to train this uh, neural network, deep neural network, and then this new deep neural network will be able to figure out the reconstructions. Uh, logic and reconstruction algorithm and later if we present a new object right for example that we will be able to recover this object and then um, another subtle detail is that uh, during this training we also move the monitor to different position different depth so that uh, the neural network will be able to learn the depth information as well so this is how the the reconstruction algorithms work um, basically using a deep neural network uh, to do the reconstruction. And then now we finally come to the slide number 10, so which is a summary of what we have so far. So basically, um, we saw that with uh, uh, using a custom micro lens array, uh, we'll be able to make a worth thing and compact 3D camera. And then um, using this camera, we can take a wall single measurement of the object scene, and then we'll be able to recover the 3D information through a physics-aware learnable network without any measurement of the point spread functions, um, unlike the other iterative uh, optimization approach or some other deep neural network. So here, we don't need any information of the point spread function. And uh, also, I put set up a reference here of the paper. Now, um, in, in, in the final uh, few minutes, I would also like to uh, go back to to uh, what I discussed earlier about the biomedical applications. Uh, so um, before this 
project, um, we also make another camera. So this camera is, is I would say that it is smaller. Um, and, um, but the principle is very similar, though the reconstruction algorithm is different. Uh, so, but uh, uh, let me briefly describe. So at slide 11, at panel B there, uh, you will see uh, the, uh, the, the uh, 3D microscope, lens lens microscope, basically as a camera chip. In front of that, there is a micro lens array as well. Of course, the design is a little bit different from the uh, photography application that we showed earlier. Uh, and then, uh, again, using our reconstruction algorithm, which is slightly different from, from the uh, deep neural network. So, so here, uh, we use the geometrical optic to actually back project the uh, measurement back into the object um, domain. And we use some background suppression algorithm to further process the uh, uh, reconstruction. So as you see in panel C, uh, we'll be able to find out the information at different depths. And after that, we we, we use uh, background suppression algorithm, which, at, which can also be a deep neural network, so that we can remove the background information. And then we can get the sharp feature at different depths, even though this feature could overlap different, uh, overlap with uh, those at other depths, right? So this is at uh, slide number 11. And slide number 12 is one specific imaging example here. So in this particular example, we uh, create um, uh, artificial object using uh, phosphorescence objects. So uh, that is shown in panel D. And then we image this through the um, uh, lensless uh, microscope and then the wall image that it is at uh, panel A, right? And then after our algorithm, we'll recover the different depth feature at panel B, and then we further remove the background, and then that is panel C. So here you can see that from 20 millimeter to 25 millimeter, so only within five millimeter uh, depth, uh, we'll be able to like. Um, like find uh, the feature at different depths. So here it is basically a slope flake. Uh, and then this slope flake is tilted so that um, we will be able to get um, some of its feature at, at different depths. And using all this information, we can uh, recover the full 3D uh, tilted snowflake that is shown in panel D, uh, uh, sorry, panel E there. Different color there means different distance. Okay. So this is the uh, 3D microscopy applications uh, using the lensless imaging. So finally, at slide number 13, I would like to acknowledge um, uh, the work uh, uh, of my students. So uh, without my students' uh, hard work, which is mainly the, my PhD student, uh, Feng, Feng Tian, and other good members in our lab, uh, we won't be able to uh, uh, achieve the uh, good result of both projects. So, and I will also like to acknowledge uh, the funding source, particularly the funding source that for the uh, second poll, uh, I mean the, the, the uh, second project here is uh, the biomedical application one, that's slide number 12, 11 and slide number 12, right? So that is from National Institute of Health and Provost Welcome Fund. And then for the um, uh, uh, 
photography applications, and then uh, we also acknowledge the funding from uh, UC Davis for my uh, startup package. And finally, the, uh, the, uh, I show the two reference uh, paper there, which uh, can further describe the two work that I described today. So uh, this is pretty much what I want to say, and sorry that I take a little bit longer than my uh, than I expect, uh, than I expected, and maybe sometime I repeat myself uh, too much, and sorry about that. Uh, but uh, thank you much. Yeah. No, thank you so much uh, for giving this wonderful talk, and it's uh, so impressive the this technology that you developed, and it's so useful also. Um, so yeah, thank you for explaining it to us. And uh, thank you. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was it was really wonderful. And everyone, uh, please uh, ask your questions, post them in the chat, or come to the stage. And um, um, let's just go in PTR order. Serena, do do you have a question? Thank you. Sure. So that's a really interesting um, interesting talk. I'm first curious about the details of what you can tell me in terms of the of the micro lens layer is it mm -hmm. in terms of the um you know the suggestions of the you know cover the photonics um is it actually a variety of curvatures laid out on an ah, area yes yes so in this particular case so we can imagine that each micro lens unit is like a small doomed um so uh and then it's sitting on a thin subject but uh, each of these doom can be can be very small, so uh, it can uh, vary from like uh, like fifty micron to one hundred micron. So one hundred micron means 0.1 millimeter uh, to one to two millimeter or a few millimeter uh, height. It depends on the application here. So and then uh, we arrange many different dooms, okay, on the on top of the substrate, and that is how this micro lens array uh, layer is um, manufactured. Or it's uh, it's uh, it yeah. Uh, and there's also some other technology, as I mentioned earlier, that is pure two D. So for example, in the diffusing cam, uh, uh, like uh, camera that. Uh, I uh, compare earlier that um, a single layer of diffuser is used. So there is really two-dimensional plate. It has some thickness, of course, but thickness is very thin. And then um, you can imagine that is like a diffuse uh, uh, glass, right? So uh, diffuse glass. So uh, that can be a totally two D. Or there's also some other uh, optical mask that that have. Um, uh, like it's basically made from a transparent glass, but they deposit some kind of black, uh, like coverage on some of the area, so that uh, some of them uh, is exposed as the uh, transparent glass, but some of the area is blocked, and then that blocking layer can be extremely thin as well. So there, that it can also be a totally two D uh, structure. Yeah, but for us, I would say that it's also kind of two D, but uh, some of the dooms there protrude a little bit out, so so it's um it's a little bit more like a three D, yeah. But it's worth thing overall, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Really interesting. Um, you know, and so another kind of bizarre question is, I'm I'm mm -hmm. wondering there there are these 
distinct advantages to having this, you know, as you pointed out in the beginning, the, of having just a thin layer without being a yes. lens. Yes. I, yes. I'm wondering, <laughs> it's just kind of a curious thing. Yeah. I, I'm curious why not. Uh, uh, are there examples that where the, you know, such a system was evolved biologically for those similar advantages? And uh -huh, it's, kind uh -huh. of, it's kind of a curious thing if they. Yeah. Had... <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I would say that biologically, there is indeed um, something like this, particular for the micro lens uh, way. So this is the compound eye by the mm -hmm. insect. So a lot of insects, they have the compound eye, but the right. um, the data structure is a little bit different. So basically each each uh, small eye there, they, there's not so many um, pixels below that. So I believe each eye, so it depends on the nature of the insects or different um, creature. So some of them only have one pixel and some of them have a few pixel for each eye. Um, and then they uh, arrange in 3D. So the main advantage there is that they have a really large angular field view. So uh, that means that some insects, they will see something behind that because the micro lens away uh, or their compound eyes, is, it's, it's arranged in a sphere. Um, and also deal, uh, uh, with this structure, they will be able to perceive the 3D work better, I would say. Um, so this is some, somewhat uh, similar, but uh, not in the sense of a thing or compact uh, camera. So yeah, so this is uh, something different. And I would say that the, uh, one application of this thin structure is for endoscopic applications. So um, it can, so the device can be thinner. And another key advantage is that um, it can do a large field of real imaging. So for conventional camera, if we want to have a larger field wheel, we basically want to uh, make the lens bigger, make the camera sensor uh, bigger, right? So it not only extend in the natural x y dimension but also in the depth dimension as well so but this uh, uh, lens so-called lensness imaging devices or or, or, or the mask based uh, devices uh, will overcome the challenge that um, in the sense that we can extend the light field wheel by just making this uh, optical mask bigger in the x y dimension but you don't need to increase the thickness. So as a result, the entire right. camera can still be very thin. Yeah, so that mm -hmm. is the advantage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one last question, are there mm. inherent limitations to this approach for mm. uh, for larger distances, for farther Yes, out? yes, so for larger distance, uh, that's a very great question. For larger distance, actually, we won't be able to perceive the 3D information because the angular, um, Mm -hmm. Information is lacking um, because the, if the this, if the object is too far away, that maybe one hundred meter and one hundred and one meter, pretty much they look the same distance. Uh, so the and in order to have uh, do the three D information for those, that we will probably have another camera that is uh, separate a little bit in the X Y sure. location. So mm -hmm. just like our eyes, the, the left and right, they separate a little bit more. Yeah. So as we saw for, this is more for the um, like close distance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. thank you. Fascinating. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Thank you. Um, Frank, mm -hmm. do you want to go ahead and ask a question? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, uh, Katarina. Uh, thank you, uh, Wen Jian, for uh, sharing with us this uh, interesting uh, research of yours. And uh, uh, I learned a lot from the previous uh, conversation with uh, uh, Serena D. I also, you know, thought of the interesting, you know, the, the biology uh, evolution that offered us the, the the amazing, you know, compound eye, as you mentioned, of the insects. And mm -hmm. uh, seem seemingly that a uh, uh the the micro lenses are uh, as as you explained that there's the the pixel the their resolution is a few hours higher and yes. uh, a similar problem with the distance uh far mm -hmm. far field middle field versus near near field right so I, I would gather right now uh, you're focusing on mid and near uh That's range, right, right? Yes, okay. yes. Yes. So I I would so thank thanks for the you know organizers the uh, very careful you know uh, sharing the information. I actually found a paper of yeah. yours. Uh, so so in the uh, appendix the A the you actually uh, answer uh, provide answers, but I didn't uh, get <laughs> understand on the fly the the number of uh, lenses that you calculated. The uh, yeah. it just seems to be thirty seven. Yeah. And uh, could you uh, see, see seemingly the, the, the aperture is also a uh, parameter. I didn't see it somewhere, but I'm, right. I'm missing. Yeah. yeah, I think the uh, aperture here is actually quite large. The entire aperture, if I remember correctly, is a, it's probably 15 millimeter. Uh, but I, I don't have the exact number on, on top of my head, but it's on that range. Um, so 15 millimeter diameter um, in total. And then within this 15 millimeter diameter, we have uh, about uh, 37 uh, lenses. Yeah, so um, so how we uh, design this is basically is really based on our application. So obviously, if each individual lenses uh, is bigger, then we probably cannot make 37. So maybe we can make maybe four to five, for example. And then from there, that the um, the advantage of there is that the uh, spatial resolutions could be improved um, in the X, Y, um, and also Z as well. But the disadvantage there is that um, the depth of focus, meaning that the range that we'll be able to see uh, will be smaller. So for example, maybe that could only see distance from uh, 10 to maybe 25 centimeter on that range, uh, but here by making each individual lens uh, smaller, that we will be able to extend this from 10 to 50 to 60 centimeters. So we have a depth, larger depth of range. Um, but of course, the disadvantage of this uh, of have more lens compared with fewer lenses that the, the XY resolution will be uh, degraded compared to that. So uh, by the end, it really, I think it depends on the uh, application here. And in our application here, I believe that the resolution can go down to about like millimeter scale. So which is maybe enough for for, for some of the photography for a 3D um, uh, detection application. But on the other hand, if we want to have a higher resolution, or maybe we want to instead of just from 10 to 60 millimeter range, uh, six, 10 to 60 centimeter range, we, we want to see a little bit more further away and everything simultaneously that 
we can adjust the size of the individual lens units and correspondingly change the number of the micro lens uh, units. So, so this is how we decide. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for the question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Hey, Eli, do you want to ask something or say something? Well, so, um, so unfortunately, I wasn't uh, um, able to pay attention through the whole thing, uh, but it did cross my mind that, uh, so I would probably have better questions, and I will, I do look forward to listening to the replay for those sections. Um, but I, I, I was wondering um, if uh, there would be any um, sophisticated applications to using this uh, um, in combination with media that uh, can do holographic recording to hmm. uh, um, get any better results than you would conventionally? Yes, certainly. So I think with these um, applications, um, I mean, with this device, we'll be able to capture the 3D um, media um, so that uh, we will be able to store, I mean, uh, with some other de development that will be able to store all this information uh, frame by frame. Um, and then uh, later, maybe using some other devices that we can display this back, right? So uh, this will be a good app, uh, like application to, to store the 3D uh, information. So uh, of course, holographic um, recording is it's a technique that can be used to 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 do the uh, recording, um, but here I think using our camera, uh, the uh, setup will be less sophisticated, um, and then uh, compared to holography, and um, so that 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 is uh, of course one application, and another application I would say is more for biologic biomedical application that I mentioned. Uh, Earlier in the talk, and also towards the end of this talk, that uh, we were able to make the entire like camera extremely thin and extremely small um, and light, so that we can uh, we can put it on top of the um, animal's head, and then we can record the brain activity, for example, while the animal is free to uh, behave. So um, we are currently uh, uh, working towards this end goal at this point. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and actually, uh, another, um, uh, sorry, not another. So, um, the, uh, Frank, uh, earlier asked what is the size of the aperture? So I replied 15 millimeter in, in, uh, diameter. That, that's actually not correct. It's, um, actually about, uh, about, uh, 24 by 36 millimeter aperture. So, uh, it is, uh, arranged in a rectangular. Um, shape. Uh, I mean, that is the camera sensor shape. So that is also uh, the area of the micro lens unit that can be used. So it's 24 by 36 millimeter, and each lens unit has a three millimeter diameter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So, so would would further uh, miniaturization as well as uh, um, larger overall um uh uh surface areas 
um, together, you know, improve uh, resolution or depth of field? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say that if we have, um, we have a larger uh, sensor and also a larger array, uh, that means that we have more micro lens unit there, we will be able to see a larger uh, 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 field of uh, wheel. Um, but on the other hand, for the uh, resolutions and also the depth of um, uh, field, uh, that is more related to the individual lens unit. So if we can make the individual lens unit bigger, that will improve the resolution but sacrifice the depth of focus. Um, so the main rationale to increase the overall area of this microlens array, meaning we giving the same size of microlens unit, we fit more microlens unit on the entire way, is mainly to increase the natural uh, field of view. So instead of just imaging a one centimeter by one centimeter area, we'll be able to image maybe five by five centimeter area if we have like more micro lens unit and also uh, assuming that the uh, uh, image sensor can be bigger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, over the years, I've run across uh, uh, numerous papers on uh, fabricating micro lens arrays. And I recall that, uh, um, you know, various methods perform differently in terms of the exact contours of the lens. So for, so for instance, if, it, you know, methods that uh, uh, depend on differences in surface wettability uh, with the surface then being covered by uh, or, or ex exposed to a polymer solution and it only retains it in the wettable areas and then the, the polymer is cured in whatever way um, that can lead to certain deviations from perfect uh, um, spherical geometry, etc. I'm wondering how, firstly, how sensitive um, uh, is what what yeah. you're doing to to sub such issues, mm -hmm. and what if if this isn't a, like a trade secret detail or anything? Um, oh, yeah. What <laughs> methods do you, do you think are, are most yeah. promising? Yeah. So this is. A, a, uh, definitely is not a trade secret. So uh, what we do is that um, we uh, actually uh, outsource these designs to a 3D printed company. So this company has a um, very special technique that can print the um, the small feature while uh, overall with a very smooth um, contour. But we are not printing the, the lens directly. Uh, because uh, mainly because of the um, material is not suitable for us. So what we do is that we have the company to to print the uh, mold for us, and then um, and because this is three D printed, so the contour exact contour can can be very flexible. So that can be designed by us actually, and then um, then we send the design to the company, and then they print out the mold for us, and this mold. Of course, depending on the exact uh, technology that they use, it may have some deviation from the dis design, but I would say that overall it is quite smooth. Uh, and then what we do after is that we pour the uh, polymer on top of this mold, and then we let the polymer cure. So um, as long as the mold is accurate, then um, then uh, this uh, uh, when we do the casting, 
uh, then um, report the polymer onto this mold, and then we let it cure, and then we we lift it up. Then the contour of this lens will be accurate. So by the end, it depends on how accurate the mold is. Yeah. So, but overall, I think this uh, te techniques it has the advantage of being very flexible, very flexible. Um, uh, and then there's also some other techniques using diamond turning, for example. That's more conventional, but it's much more expensive as well. And also, there are some other techniques um, using the nanofabrication technique. They use the photoresist, for example, first do the patterning and then do a thermal withdrawal so that each rectangle block can become a sphere or something like that. But the um, disadvantage there is that number one, the material that they can use is limited to the photoresist. And number two is that. Um, uh, it is really hard to control the contour of each individual lens unit. Whereas doing 3D printing is more flexible, I would say, because it's all designed by, by us, and then we can decide whatever shape that we like. As long as the, the printing uh, is accurate enough or precise enough, that, that we'll be able to achieve what we want to have. Yeah. So this is uh, what I think. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so um, one of the uh, areas that I work in are, um, uh, or is, is um, uh, improving uh, certain aspects of roll-to-roll -roll manufacturing, you know, down to submicron uh, geometries. So maybe we can discuss this in, in further detail in mm -hmm. the future, because, because, you know, this is, this is to, to uh, um, kind of take roll-to-roll -roll, uh, patterning to the next level. I see, I see. Sure, sure. Yeah, I would definitely uh, love to discuss some more with you uh, uh, later. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And you can all always find my uh, email on the um, paper that's um, uh, about sure. this pro project, and then we can communicate through there as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, um, Abyss. Did you have a question? Please go ahead. Thanks, Scott. Um, everyone, um, and thank you, Wenjun. This has been this is really fascinating work. I'm I'm always curious about to to hear what's the next breakthrough is when it comes to optics. Mm -hmm. um, and um, it seems like I mean this this has a lot of promise, especially in my field, where um, you're basically equipping like equipped with like a stereoscopic endoscope into um insert I mean into a patient to essentially look at without um to, to have like a very minim, minim, minimally invasive um, surgery so i think like this will have uh, tremendous implications in that regard um so based on um based on what you presented i had a um, few questions for you so the first okay. one is that how do you actually um guarantee that the um sort of the random micro lens array actually doesn't have sort of a self-correction in a way, pretty much like what the the um, the periodic approach does. Mm. So do you actually correct for or look for some kind of, say, like a two-dimensional two Gaussian distribution so that you don't have potential overlap? Uh -huh. Or um, and if you do so, how do you correct for, or at least like how do you account for possible um, Images that cannot be resolved. Right, right, right. 
Yeah, yeah. So thank you for this question. So actually, for this particular work, we actually do not uh, specifically optimize the position of the micro lens uh, weight. Uh, I mean, the individual micro lens units. We just kind of set it random. So random meaning that um, uh, the um, there are some certain bounds of the minimum distance and maximum distance between the two lens units. So as long as it's it's within that bound that that we are fine. Um, and overall, because it's kind of like a random process, so and it's quite different from the periodic uh, cases. So uh, I believe that the so-called self uh, correlation it's it's very low here. Uh, but I would also like to point out that there's also um, some other uh, uh, design philosophy that can actually uh, do end-to-end uh, -end, um, optimization, meaning that um, based on quality that we have and based on the reconstruction algorithms, uh, we can also update the design of the lens units so that the entire hardware and software is looped together. So uh, this is a joint optimization of the hardware and uh, um, software, uh, which we have a project uh, earlier uh, using this principle, but it's not it's well different from, from this one. Uh, so I believe that if we use that, that can further enhance the quality. Uh, but uh, in this particular work, I would say that for the micro lens weight, we kind of use uh, our own uh, empirical experience to, to design that. So, um, and as a result, we didn't put that into the end-to-end -end, um, optimization fashion. So the neural network is only for the reconstruction. But if we include that in the neural network optimization, that certainly, uh, I believe that the performance can be further enhanced. Yeah. Hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, I see. Um, that actually kind of makes sense. I'm also curious, have you tested it on different types of light source? Like, for example, the diffuse light actually kind of skews your prediction to predict the depth ah, information. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. certainly. Yeah, so uh, for this particular work, uh, we use the warm nights to do the illuminations. And uh, some, sometimes we can enhance the lighting by a white LED, uh, but basically they are kind of diffuse lights. Um, and then uh, in the biological um, application side, uh, we use both fluorescent and uh, phosphorescent. So meaning that each point source uh, is actually emit light by itself. Uh, it emits a full uh, 360, uh, I mean a full four pine shorted angle. Uh, so that is how, how, um, how we use the lightning uh, condition. Basically it's totally diffuse light. And on the other hand, uh, can we use some more coordinated light? Uh, I think it will probably work as well because when the light shine on the object, it will it will diffuse um, to different direction, and then we can will be able to connect that. Um, and then uh, that's basically how the PSF uh, is recorded. It's basically a point source that emit light at all the angle. And then we can capture that on our camera. So uh, that's how the PSF works. So as we saw that, I think the lighting condition here may not be so critical. But here we use the diffuse lights or or have the object to emit light by itself. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I see. So uh, polarization is not an issue. Yeah, polarization is not an issue at all. Right.
Gotcha. So, um, so based on the the schematics that you showed in slide nine, that you actually have, um, you actually break down the the image that you're getting into, our uh, red, green, blue, I think, and you're applying FFT to do the reconstruction module. Yes. Um, and then, uh, I think like you're doing inverse uh, FFT to actually get the sort of like a sharper image. So I'm curious, have you considered using diffusion models because they seem to be doing much better at denoising uh, such an input data. Mm, mm. Right. Yeah, so um, that's a good question. So we haven't explored that. Um, we will certainly want to uh, try that as well. So um, here, the reason that we use FFT here um, is that uh, it's kind of very fast approach. And we use the deep neural network to learn the kernel of that uh, of the middle layer uh, during the FFT and, and inverse FFT process, and then that is known so that uh, we will be able to correct something that cannot be modeled uh, um, like uh, precisely uh, using top-down approach, and then afterwards that we use an enhancement model to uh, suppress the noise further and then make some more. Uh, correction. So, um, yeah. So that is how this uh, reconstruction module using FFT and how the intensive module using uh, UNAC uh, work. Yeah. Uh, but certainly, uh, uh, we would also like to try other process as well. Like the diffusion model is could be one of them, and then we can certainly look into that. Yeah. But thank you very much for this suggestion. Yeah. Yeah, that actually makes sense since you're kind of analyzing multiple images and the sort of the fidelity of resolving 3D images mm -hmm. depends on how many micro lenses they have. The more micro lenses, the better resolution. So I think the faster approach can um, seems reasonable. So I can see why that is, why you're, why you're kind of focusing mm -hmm. on uh, simple FFT as opposed to using more complex model, like diffusion model. Right. Um, last thing. Last thing I know is there's one person um, uh, who just who joined it who's actually on the stage. Uh, my last question is that have you looked into meta materials to actually do better resolution for uh, much closer objects, um, or is that something that you have on your target as a potential research? Uh, um, uh, lands away. So there is more flat. <laughs> so the. Uh, the uh, feature size there is on the order of uh, hundreds of nanometer, so it's really like to the uh, device. So that is the matter uh, lens away that we are working on, and I think the advantage of that is uh, it's it can create something that that cannot uh, have using conventional lens units. Uh, so, um, but. Also, there's a lot of design challenge there, particularly for the chromatic uh, operation. So, meaning that uh, you can image well for the maybe red color, but for the blue color or the green color, that's we need some more uh, correction. So, um, so that is there's some uh, uh, communication. Then also some of those design could be polarization uh, dependence as well. Um, yeah, but but certainly the meta uh, surface or the meta lens or meta structure actually open up uh, quite further enhanced the image quality, including the image resolution that you mentioned. So yeah, certainly. Mm -hmm.
Thank yes. you for answering yeah. my questions. That's the mic to the next person. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, hey, John. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. See, when you use uh, this your 3D camera to take a picture, uh, normally, see, how long does it take uh, uh, the computer to analyze those pictures and uh, form a, a 3D uh, a picture? Uh -huh. Yeah, so here, um, in this particular project, is about uh, 40 to 50 milliseconds per depth. So, um, so it depends on how many depths that we have. So let's say that if we do like uh, four different depths, so it will be less than 200 milliseconds in total. Um, and that will become oh. five volumes per second. So, yeah. So certainly using a higher, um, like more advanced uh, uh, GPU <laughs> will, will, will make it faster. Yeah. Yeah, but but but, mm. but here, uh, in, including app, everything, all the different color, RGB color, it's about 40 uh, to 50 milliseconds per depth, yeah. Mm. Wow, that's pretty good. So, uh, uh, so is there any see, requirement to see for the see how long your uh, see camera has to be see like a, a, away from the uh, object? Uh, yeah, so see. Yeah. So here in our application here is about 10, 10 centimeter away um, at least. Um, and then uh, the um, how far away it can actually be very far away, but I would say that if we want to do a good job in distinguish the depth, that uh, in our experiment with them was up to about 50 to 60 centimeter away. And beyond mm -hmm. that, uh, the uh, capability to resolve the depth is, is weaker. So meaning that we may not distinguish uh, like two meter and 2.1 meter, but we will be able to distinguish like 10 centimeter and 12 centimeter. Yeah, so, so this is more for the, uh, close or, or near uh, uh, object distance application, yeah. So do you have to use a uh, very strong light to shine on this uh, object? Uh, yeah, so here we use the room light, yeah. We use room light or the YLED to shine light onto the uh, object so that this object will reflect the light um, and then it will go to the camera, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah. you. Thank yeah. you. Very thank much. you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you very much for all the questions. And um, we've been going on for an hour and a half. So uh, thank you so much for sharing all this time with us and this knowledge and answering all of our questions. Well, of course. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you for all your and time, actually, I, <laughs> and, and attention. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. The 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 question I had did, did you already implant it in animals and and did you have like first results? Yeah, we are working on that now. That yeah, <laughs> yeah, we are working on, on on that now. Actually, on the implantation side, uh, but we ha we we haven't got a chance to um do the um like real imaging on the animal yet. So we are working on the detail on the surgical planning. <laughs> yeah.
but hopefully soon. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I will be looking forward to 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 learn about it. Maybe someday next year around this time, you huh? you can come back and sure, tell yeah. us. Hopefully, maybe. hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it will be always difficult, more difficult on the biological side, because it also depends on the animal and and more, much more work compared to, to to the toys here. <laughs> but the toys here, we we can purchase the toy and get the permission from the vendor to use. But for the animal, it's uh, um, it also uh depends on the like uh for us and expression and. There's more, but hopefully we can get it done soon. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> oh, and how much would, let's say you would make a company to sell this to labs, like how much would the camera like this cost more or less? Would you know? Uh, it, 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 uh, it won't cost too much um, uh, because uh, the only thing that costs uh, is, is cost a lot of money. Uh, actually, not, not a lot either. It's, it's a 3D printed mold. So once that is done, then uh, the casting process can can be fast, I would say, and the material is very cheap. It's polymer base and uh, CMOS camera, so uh, that CMOS camera can be something that is used on the cell phone as well, which I believe can be very cheap. I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, that will be amazing yeah. because you know usually it's quite exp everything is right. so expensive. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I hope you have great success and. Maybe you'll sell these cameras, or somebody sells it for yeah, you. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. We are always happy to share at, as well. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. that's a yeah. great last talk because yeah. you know it gives us uh, a good outlook for the future. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. A positive outlook for the future, yeah. and um, uh, happy holidays to mm -hmm. you and. Uh, to everyone and thank you everyone for coming and enjoy the holidays everyone and yeah hopefully mm -hmm. we i hear you all back in the next year um and um yeah okay, great. enjoy and thank you so much again. thank you again for for your time and attention and happy holiday and good morning good evening <laughs> thank you mm. <laughs> thank you very thank you. much thank you bye-bye mm. Bye everyone. I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye everyone. Happy holidays. Bye bye. Thanks. Happy holidays.